Canucks fans, and welcome in to Season 4, Episode 3 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. Doug, good to see you again, man. How's your week? Uh, pretty good. I spent the week uh, actually at Christina Lake with some friends. Uh, we found a lakefront property that had its own dock, so we were kayaking, swimming, uh, did a little bit of fishing off the dock, and... Yeah, it was just nice, man. Played some board games in the evening, as well as a couple of sips of whiskey. It was just overall, and actually, I was making some mezcal margaritas uh, as well, which was really, yeah, really nice. Um, But yeah, it was just nice to get away. Christina Lake, beautiful, beautiful. And it's kind of like the shoulder season as well, so it wasn't crazy busy. And yeah, it was just nice to get out of the city. What about you, Pete? Uh, Nothing too eventful. I was in town, but saw some friends and... Went for some runs, went for some nice bike rides, just enjoying, again, this time of year. I, I love this time of year. Starting to watch a bit more sports, uh, getting that into my diet as well. But I've just been kind of steady, busy, but not overwhelming busy. So it's been kind of nice, which uh, which is great for this time of year because it means every day moves a little bit closer and closer to the start of hockey season. So, yeah, nothing too exciting, but I'll be going to the island next week, so looking forward to that uh doug we got a i'm really excited for this episode because uh, we finally have clay emo joining us today i've been uh, i've been wanting to get him on for a while conduct clay uh you can follow him on twitter and youtube so i think it's going to be a great episode yeah i'm really excited to finally get clay on the speakeasy as well um he's a very positive fan and you know he's always kind of been one of those guys that much like yourself pete is a glass half full type of person as opposed to a glass half empty kind of person and given some of the news stories that came out about the Canucks this past week uh, I think having some uh, clay positivity on the speakeasy uh, will be good not only for you and I but for all the listeners out there as well yeah for sure the timing is good and hey look it's been a, a weird week out there in Canucks land as I'm sure a lot of people know um, there's there's been some injuries to the team even Jonathan Mackey getting injured over in Sweden uh, you know it's just been a tough week for injuries and there's a lot of rumors out there about the team and look they're rumors we're not going to address anything until there's a, something concrete in front of us but there's a lot of rumors swirling that's all we got to say about that right now is once there's actual facts out there then we'll say something. Yeah, I agree. Like until we have some facts about some of the rumors and speculation surrounding the team in the last week or so, I don't think there's any reason for us to really talk about it or to add to the speculation fuel of what happened, what didn't happen. So, you know, until we have some cold, hard facts, I think, uh, you know, mentioning it like we have now and, you know, moving forward is probably the best thing to do. Yeah, and hey, we won't shy away from it when facts come out, but uh, there's no point in talking about rumors. Also, Doug, uh, National Truth and Reconciliation Day today, so uh, I'm wearing my uh, Canucks shirt designed by local Indigenous artist Chase Gray, Um, so I just wanted to mention that as well. Uh, It's a great day to go out and have that conversation if you have the chance to with someone. Yeah, I think it's really important, and I, you know, I think, obviously, you know, finding the the graves of the children at the school in Kamloops and, you know, all across Canada, unfortunately, you know, they've been finding these kind of mass graves of young indigenous children that were on um, the reservation schools. It's just, it's, it's, it's really sad. And, you know, I think recognizing, you know, 
what happened all those years ago and, you know, to have those conversations to try to, you know, mend some of the wounds and some of the damage that happened back then is important. And, you know, I saw a ton of people today wearing orange shirts in support of the Truth and Reconciliation Day. Yeah, and a shout out to all our Indigenous and First Nations listeners out there and all the people that we interact with on Twitter as well. Um, great to see you out there in Canucks Nation. And we're thinking about you always, but especially on a day like today. Uh, Doug, before we get into everything, uh, we've got also uh, Dan Mackles. We have Dan's Feelings episode two coming up to the, a little bit later here as well. But before we get into that, let's talk about the outro track from last week that you chose because you edited yeah, so it's actually a song I I do remember hearing this song back in the day when I was in high school and I always liked the song and then it was one of those songs that kind of just went in one ear and out the other. Yeah, like I just totally forgot about this song. It's a song like I hadn't even thought about for the last 15 20 years. And then I somehow stumbled upon it I would want to say two, three weeks ago. And then I kind of put it, I think you, you actually followed your lead on this, Pete, because I remember you would say for outro tracks, you kind of had a little folder of songs you kind of want to use. And depending on how long our outro goes, will depend on what song you can use. And this song was, uh, it's a song called um, Remember Me by a DJ called Blue Boy, who is originally from uh, Scotland. Um, and yeah, he had this hit in 1997. It actually charted on the UK, uh, charts. I think it went all the way up to like number eight. Um, and yeah, it was a really cool song and I was like, it's like six and a half minutes as well. Um, and there's tons of people who have actually remixed this song. And I was like, this is the perfect song for an outro track. And like I said, I was editing or like you said, I was editing the last episode and I had this kind of, you know, loaded and ready to go in my repertoire and uh, i thought it was the perfect uh, use of it for the last episode the sampling nerd in me loves it for a couple of reasons uh, the break in it is actually banned from skull snaps uh, is the name of the the band and it's a track called it's a new day and it's a pretty legendary break and that's what the the main beat in that is so uh that's it's noticeable right away that when you hear that beat it's like oh that's the skull snaps beat also the vocal in it is by a woman named marlena shaw and it's from a track that is so heavily sampled um doug i should send it to you because as soon as i send it to you you'll hear the first bit of it and you'll recognize that right away from uh, St. Germain's song as well. But Marlena Shaw, excellent old blue note and soul singer uh, as well. So two awesome songs that build into it to make the track uh, as well. And that's the the sample nerd in me. Uh, check those out as well. I think it's I think the track, the Marlena Shaw track is called Women of the Ghetto, but I'll have to double check that. But I know it's a new day by Skull Snaps. That's the beat, what legendary hip hop beat. Yeah, I mean, that's what I love about music especially hip-hop music and electronic music you know is you get all these like legendary old samples and it actually in a way it's like showcasing some of these older artists that may for whatever reason during their prime never really reached that bigger audience and it's like showing it and getting them a bigger audience you know 20 30 40 sometimes 50 years later and i always love that yeah 100% i love that stuff too sharon jones is a great example of that as well absolutely and don't forget, folks, you can follow us online on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas and the podcast is at Canucks Speak. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And as Pete and I were just discussing about this playlist we're building on Spotify, it's the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist. 
another funky jam will be added to the playlist at the end of this episode. So be sure to check it out. All right. Hey, Doug, let's uh, before we get Clay, Dan's got something to say. Let's hear this week's Dan's feelings. Hey, my name's Dan, and sometimes I feel things. Please say hello to Dan. Yo, give me something to Dan. Dan, Dan, Dan. Dan. To Dan. Dan, 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 Dan. To Dan, to Dan. What I was thinking Please about today, to as we're Yo, rapidly to closing in on the start of the 22-23 uh, season, is where does your fandom, or how does your fandom, affect your overall mental well-being? When does passion sort of drift into obsession now for me for the longest time i would almost suggest that my fandom for the canucks was more of an obsession and it became something that would absolutely affect my mood whether it be positive or negative depending on the outcome of a game obviously amplified on the outcome of a playoff run win loss anything along those lines so much so that when may rolled around every year my ex-wife would just absolutely be dreading the emotional roller coaster she was about to witness. And it was like that probably all the way up until 2011. That was when it kind of shifted for me. I remember as soon as the second period ended in Game 7, I had to get up and walk away from the horror that I was experiencing. It was so painful. It was so painful uh, to, again witness this team that I had invested so much emotion and, and energy into to come up short in the biggest game of franchise history. I just, I, I realized that was a turning point for me. Um, the, the, the days of breaking hockey sticks and throwing beer cans across the room had to come to an end. And probably age and, and life events played a role in that. I became a father shortly after. Um, now that I'm into my my late 40s uh, and I've experienced so many ups and downs, I've gone from allowing it to dictate how it's going to affect me and just getting back to enjoying it. Now, that doesn't mean when there's a huge win or a big event I don't get excited about it uh, obviously with the new season upon us you get excited and you get to to experience the ride and, and what new stories are going to be told but I definitely don't allow it to have a negative effect on me for this thing that I've stated before should be an escapism should be something that's fun I'd be curious to know what you guys have to say anyways my name's Dan. Those are my feelings. What are yours? All right, Dan, that was some good stuff. I think uh, I think it was really topical as well for for this week and everything that, that's going on. I mean, also like for me, I, I've certainly been a wild card, a roller coaster of emotions with the Canucks, and uh, I know that a little a while ago, I, I was quite aware of how it affected my moods and. I've started taking a step back from it as well, and I look at I look at hockey uh, for what it is. It's entertainment, and as a, well, I mean, entertainment's supposed to give you an emotion and a and a reaction. But it was getting to a point where it would affected other things in my life and was unbalancing me. And so I certainly had to reassess where my relationship was with the Canucks. And I've come to a point now that I can watch the games much more rationally. I certainly get upset at certain things. And I certainly have been known to yell out the window for when I get really excited. But 
I, I think Dan brings up a good point of, um, you know, making sure that your emotional attachment to the team doesn't affect other corners of your life. As you know, you sit on the couch, you watch the game, and that's it. And you, you don't let it go and affect your friends, your family, your work, or other environments. Yeah, I agree. Like, I, I've definitely been in that mind frame as well after a Canucks loss, especially a playoff loss, because obviously, you know, it's so much more emotional mm-hmm. and you're so much more invested, you know, in the final outcome of their games. And I've tried as well not to let it completely just like tank my mood or be so upset, you know, because before it would be like that. I would be angry or upset for like a day or two. You know what I mean? It would just totally affect your mood and you don't want that. You know, it it is meant to be entertainment and fun. And obviously, you know, we all have a passion for this team. We all have these nostalgic memories when we were kids and, you know, highlights and, you know, playoff runs. And so that is all important to how we've developed to our fandom to today, but we shouldn't let the outcome of a game, whether negative or positive, dictate how we feel for days and weeks because it, you know, especially with mental health being so important, the last thing any of us need is something else to add to you know, our mental health and to give us more anxiety and to stress us out. One thing I've learned as well from being a a sports fan is the lows outweigh the highs. It's just, it's true. It's pretty much for every organization. There are more lows than highs, but when you get those highs, they they just feel amazing. And those moments, uh, that's where, you know, you talk about playoff runs and other things. That's where you build your moments. And we look back, you know, bubble Demko, uh, Bray in overtime, uh, you know, Burroughs in overtime slaying the dragon. You look at these peaks and uh, and you're like, oh, that's what you remember. But there's long gaps in there where there isn't a lot. And look, you know, Canucks Twitter, I'm looking at all you guys and gals out there. It's been a long stretch here, I know. And the negativity permeates, but there's going to be those moments. And we saw that in the bubble. And that's really the only thing we've had in the last decade or so. Uh, but then when those moments happen, it feels so good. But unfortunately, as a sports fan, the lows far outweigh the highs. And you got to learn how to manage that. Yeah. I also wonder if the Canucks had won a Stanley Cup, whether we would ever different? get, yeah, whether we would actually get that low, whether we would let yeah. it affect our mood as much as sometimes we do, because you know what? At least we won that Stanley Cup. And the fact yeah. that we've never won a cup, I think that also kind of plays into the psyche of being a Canuck fan. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I think that too. I think if you had that, at least we could all say, hey, we've got this one up in the rafters. But because we've been close three times, really close two of those three times, never actually got it. And that's permeated into the psychology of, of this fan base as well. And that's why I think it polarizes us a lot of the times. We have everyone being an armchair GM and, and, and talking about how to manage the team. And, you know, when we have Clay on here uh, in, in a few minutes, we're going to be talking about what's on the ice and then just yeah, kind of keeping it there. But I do think a lot of fans, uh, if we did have that banner up there, myself included, at least you could, uh, you could go to bed at night and wrap yourself in your, your blanket, a replica of the Stanley Cup banner, you know, but we, we can't do that. Yeah. Or like rub the Stanley Cup patch that you had like on your jacket, right? The 93, yeah. 92, 93 Stanley Cup champions. You could, you know, rub that patch goodnight kind of thing. But yeah, unfortunately, we're not there yet. You, you could keep your nightlight on it and uh, and look across the room as it while while you sleep. 
Well, we can dare to dream, um, but now let's get Clay on the line here and let's get into our chat for the week. All right, joining us now, our guest for the week, we are very pleased to welcome in Clay Emo to the conversation. Clay, thanks for joining us. Pete, Douglas, thank you. thanks for having me on, guys. I'm really excited about this and I, I really applaud the job you guys are doing. There's a lot of... Uh, a lot of room for all of us as content creators here in Vancouver, especially with a team that we hope actually is going to win this year. Yes, I agree. And if, if you guys aren't following Clay out there, well, you're doing something wrong. Uh, Connect Clay on Twitter, on YouTube. But I know you also put the, the YouTube out as podcasts as well, don't you? Yeah, I'm doing a, and I'll talk about this a bit more later, but certainly I'm doing a, a nightly show. It really, the podcast is simply the audio version of the show. I still, my bread and butter is still the YouTube side as opposed to the podcast side, but kind of a bonus if, if people don't want to stare at my good looking face for half an hour, they can listen to, uh, they can listen on their favorite podcast platform. <laughs> yeah, we always joke about that. I have to that. say, yeah. well, uh, I have to say, Clay, some of my favorite content you put out is you in your car, in your suit, and you're like given like a, like a literally... <laughs> within second reaction of like a scrimmage or like something that's happened. Like, I love that. Like that is like the content that I think more, we need more on Canucks Twitter. I really do. Well, I will say this Douglas uh, originally it was because of just ease and how lazy I am. I pride myself on being the one take wonder. I say, you know, my Canucks take all in one take, but it's literally because I don't want to edit these videos. So generally I will go, <laughs> On my way to the office, I'll pull over just on 33rd somewhere on my way to my, my work, record for 10 minutes, go in, upload it, do a quick thumbnail, do the tags, and then boom, I'm done for the rest of the day. Now, as news breaks throughout the day, that's when I'm not in my car. You'll see me outside in the park or or maybe in my office. But yes, thank you, Douglas, for noticing. It's uh, When I first started, people were making fun of me. Oh, this guy's so low budget. This guy can't even afford a studio or whatever. But I'd say, no, this is this is how you know that I, I try and do my stuff is spontaneous, unscripted, and just go with the flow. Oh man, if we ever, ever, Doug, if we could ever do an episode where we don't have to edit, man, I think, I think we're going to have to go and buy each other dinner or something and put on some suits and just go and celebrate because, uh, geez, some of our episodes, the amount of editing we have to do is pretty incredible. Well, I'm trying to yeah, help you. Almost- I'll keep it to a minimum today. Uh, well, that's our, that's my goal guys. No, I know. I'm not, not, not worried that. about you. I'm worried about myself and, and a little bit of Doug as well. Um, but Clay, lots, uh, lots happening right now with the team. Um, I'm excited for this season. How excited are you? Very much so. I've been a season ticket holder for 12 seasons now. My first year was 2010, 2011. So what a year to come into uh, into the club as a season ticket member. But uh, I, I know we're going to talk about this. If we're if we're fine with our goaltending, and you look, at, you basically bring in Kuzmenko, Lazar, and Mikheyev, who's injured, of course. But you bring those and Joshua. You bring those guys in for Highmore, Lamico, Mott, and Chason. That's a massive improvement. So from a forward standpoint alone, I don't know if we can outscore our questions on D, but I'm excited for that. Just the offensive, exciting brand of hockey I expect the Canucks to play under Boudreaux. Let's start with Kuzmenko because uh, <laughs> this is it's Friday right now. Uh, the game was last night, Thursday. Uh, yeah. Kuzmenko is obviously right now, he's kind of the talk of the town. We kind of got to see what he could do uh, a bit last night and the skill set that he has. What do you notice about Kuzmenko? I notice how smart he is, you guys, and he's not the fastest skater you're ever going to see, but he is hard to play. He he does remind me of Paul Coles, and not just because they're countrymen, but he's strong and not he's strong on his skates. Again, not the fastest, but he wins a lot of board battles. But I really love his hockey IQ, and you guys saw you have to be pretty smart 
to play with PD and to keep up with PD and to anticipate. But look, both of Kuzmenko's goals were directly from PD. One of the, the cross ice pass and the other one was, was uh, you know, PD to Hughes to Kuzmenko. I love his release. I love um, how active he's, he is. He's banging for the stick, uh, banging for the puck with the stick on the ice, always communicating. I'm not sure what he's yelling. Uh, the guys can understand him, but overall, he looks really engaged. And I get it. He's older, right? He's older than the rest of the any other rookies or that are going to take part in the league. But I, I just love his hockey IQ. And I think he really wants to succeed and really wants to do well. And uh, he showed well. He showed well last night for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. One of the things I saw from him last night was he has a very deceptive shot. It's not mm. the most powerful shot, but he can change angles on the shot, much like an Austin Matthews. You know, one of the reasons why Austin Matthews is such a great goal scorer is because he he his shot is very deceptive and he can kind of change angles at the last minute as he's winding up from his release. And then just his play down low as well. And he actually had a couple dangles, which I didn't really expect to see from Kuzmenko. And, uh, you know, he actually almost potted his third goal when he kind of came out from behind the net and tried to make a little move out front and couldn't quite tuck it home. And I think if him and Petey get to play with each other all year, I think we could see Kuzmenko having a massive year. Now, here's another question about Kuzmenko. Are you guys worried if he does have a massive year that the Canucks might be outpriced to re-sign him? Um, I don't want to think about that just yet. I mean, that's a good problem to have. Um, the Canucks can make things work. I don't want to worry about that at the moment, but it's certainly something we're going to hear a lot about this year. Um, for me right now, let's enjoy it. We got him. We got him this year and he, he's got some chemistry. Uh, I'll let the guys upstairs worry about that one for now. <laughs> And that's a great question, Douglas, because I, I hear already you're saying, oh, maybe we don't need Besser after all. Oh, maybe we can trade Besser for a top four. No, right shot no, <laughs> no, no. I'm a big, big Besser guy. Love okay. Besser. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm definitely not that. No, no. I just, I'm worried about, cause you still need to resign Horvat and yeah. Kuzmenko, who's making the league minimum on a one-year deal. Yes. You know, if he, if he can, you know, have a 20 goal season, 40, 40 assists, 60 points, He's going to get a big raise. Now I know the salary cap is going to go up, but I know what Pete's saying, you know, Hey Doug, let's live in the moment. Right. But you know, it is something to kind of think about. But it what is. an awesome problem to have though, if it, if it actually happens. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I mean, if you can bring in a 60 point guy on a, on a pretty much league minimum, Hey, uh, I'll, I'll take it. Um, one thing I wanted to just go back to uh, Kuzmenko. Um, one thing that really impressed me and we heard about this a bit before he came over is his ability to play behind the net using him in that bumper spot. He kind of is creating a lot of havoc. I found around the net. He's behind the net. He's on the, he's on the side. Like we saw him got the one goal where he's just kind of hugging at the post. He can get <laughs> into the slot uh, as well, where he Doug, you said he's got that great shot as well. He's an interesting presence out there, but man, that power play last night, that was fire. That was looking a lot of fun. They moved the puck really well, Pete, for sure. And they almost with some urgency and um, I, it's interesting about Kuzmenko. I agree with everything you said. He's really good around the net. I think you guys saw an overtime where he almost got his hat trick goal by cutting right through the crease. He's not afraid of contact. And remember, he's a 26-year-old man as opposed to a 18 or 19-year-old rookie. So I, I think, yes, I get, I get it. It's the K. But I think he's ready to have an impact. And yeah, we, we, we don't need him to be the one bringing the puck in over the line. We don't need him to be the one dangling, although you're right, Douglas, he had a couple dangles. We want him in front of the net scoring from within, well, whatever, 10, 15 feet or unleashing that wrist shot. And I love your point about him changing the angle. We saw that in that first, that first shot. He just had enough time to make the goalie think. And sure enough, he, he blew it right past him. It was beautiful. 
Do you guys like Pearson on that unit? You go ahead, Douglas. I got. I need a minute to compose my thoughts. <laughs> I mean, Pearson's one of those guys. I actually thought he played good last night. I actually thought he looked quicker than he had previous years. You know, would Pearson be there if Besser was healthy or Mikheyev was healthy? I don't know. But I think we in Vancouver, the fan base, the a certain demographic of the fan base are harder on Pearson than I think he is. He's still a great NHL player. I mean, he's a Stanley cup champion. Uh, is his contract a little bit, you know, not great value for the player he is today, probably, but he's a very serviceable NHL player. He has good chemistry with Bo Horvat. We've seen that for the last couple of years. And I actually think he's a sneaky, good PK as well. He's actually mm. sneaky, good on the penalty kill. And I don't think we talk about that enough. Yeah, I also think he's very low maintenance. He's a veteran. You're right, Stanley Cup champion, 3.25. It's it's okay. It's not brutal. It's not the best. But I know Boudreaux would have no hesitation in putting him out in a first power play unit, a second PK unit. And he's very responsible. I, as as soon as I say that, I think of he did have two turnovers, actually. One of them led to the, the game-winning goal by San Jose, uh, uh, excuse me, by Seattle. And the other one was actually uh, he gave it the puck along the boards. But in general, I think he's uh he's definitely serviceable, he's very reliable. But do you do you guys think do you guys think he gets an unfair rap here in Vancouver? Because we're we want to cheer for the the flashy guys, the Bessers, the PDs, the Hughes, the even the Horvats and Millers. Do you think he's underappreciated here? He's very underappreciated in my yeah. opinion. And, and one of the things that we do a lot of the time is we associate value to the contract for what we see on the ice. And maybe like you guys, we, we've alluded to, he might be slightly north. He got a little bit north of what I want, but we're not talking a lot north uh, of what I wanted them to pay Tanner Pearson. We've already heard the coaching staff say uh, about how prepared he was coming in. To, to camp. He's just ready to go. And the coaching staff would use him as an example. They look at Tanner Pearson, look at Bo Horvat. These veterans come in, they are ready to go. And you can see the difference in some of the skate drills. And just these guys are in shape. You need guys like that. You need a guy who could play in all four lines, in all situations, who's won a Stanley Cup, knows what has got to be done. I think Tanner Pearson doesn't get the respect he deserves. I mean, I see people every day on Twitter wanting to trade him out of town for a third round pick. It's like, no, I mean, this team is gearing towards something and you've got a, a good player here in Tanner Pearson. I mean, hey, I'm not against ever trading anyone, but I'm not going to say, hey, trade him without knowing what the offer is. Uh, personally, though, I really like what Tanner Pearson can bring to this team. And uh, I think, again, he's maybe doesn't quite play up to that value, but it's not a large difference and you need a guy like him to win. And I, I agree with what Clay said. He's very low maintenance. And yeah. I think those are guys you don't actually realize how integral they are to the team. Um, I think if his contract wasn't what it was, for whatever reason, Canuck fans, we overanalyze every contract that ever gets signed by any player, whether it's a great contract. I mean, I remember when we first signed the extension for Demko, some people were saying, oh, this is pretty expensive for a goalie who really hasn't proven if he's a number one. <laughs> and now it's arguably not only one of the best deals for goalies in the NHL, arguably one of the best deals in the NHL period for a guy who probably will be getting some serious Vesna votes this year. If the Canucks make the playoffs. And I think this is a playoff team, spoiler alert. Maybe I'm <laughs> jumping the gun on that, but I do think this is a playoff team and you need guys like Tanner Pearson, especially when it comes to, 
the playoffs. Guys like him who have that experience knows what knows what it takes when the chips are down or you're down a game or you're down two games. They know what you need to do to kind of elevate the group to, you know, win that next game on the road to make the series a 2-1 series. And, you know, those are the type of players that you eventually, every team needs to win a Stanley Cup. And depth is the other thing. He also provides more depth to this team. I think one of the big things we really felt that this, manage, this new management group did this offseason was provide depth, at least to the forward group. And I know we've got some injuries, but that's a nice problem to have, which we haven't had in previous years. Yeah, for sure. And I know, you know, like, I think we talked about this last episode as well, 2018, when we're calling up the Chapoos and the Megmas and all these guys. <laughs> and now you're looking at what's down on the farm uh, this year. You have the abilities to maybe call up guys like Lockwood and Carlson and a little more skill in there. And all of a sudden you got Joshua, who could be a 12 or 13 and, and Lazar. The forwards uh, are going to be a lot more stable. And dare I say, we have a top nine this year. Yeah. And just speaking about depth and obviously our depth is being tested already, maybe a little too early for, for our liking, but Pearson, the other thing is, I, I think maybe you guys were like this too. I had him penciled in as my third line, maybe even battling for that third line spot. And you see, as soon as Boudreaux puts the lines together, he's riding shotgun with JT Miller, our best forward of last season. So we know that Boudreaux trusts him, but the thing about Pearson, not only is he, is he low maintenance and he's reliable? He's also very versatile. So whereas some fans might want him on the third line to start off, he can play all the way up one, two, three, even the fourth line if you need to, but really he's a top nine guy. And I think I'd agree with both of you. I think we all agree that we should be more grateful uh, for that as opposed to trying to uh, send him out on the next flight out of town. Yeah. And you can't, put enough emphasis on how important that is to have players like that with coaches yeah. trust who are versatile. Yeah. And I actually think I had Pearson pencil in on one of my, uh, as on, the, on the fourth line in one of my mock-ups just because he could, I mean, uh, I had, I was like, Oh, I don't want to put Hoglander on the fourth line. Cause that's not really yeah. his position. So I moved Hoglander up and put Pearson down. But again, that's a, a testament to his versatility. Um, I think, I think, you know, the top nine forwards this year, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. However, the matchups go, uh, but the guy that besides Kuzmenko, um, I'm really curious to see what PD does this year. And uh, we got a taste of it last night with Seattle. He looks different, doesn't he? Yeah, he looks well, and we're not talking about his haircut, I guess. He looks, uh, <laughs> he looks bigger. We, we saw those videos of him, you know, pumping iron at, over the summer. He looks focused, and I really like you guys the way his first media availability, he basically said, I'm not making excuses. Yes, we all know that there was a the whole not even the holdout. It was the contract negotiation. We all knew that maybe his wrist wasn't fully 100%. But I just love the way that he did not make excuses. And he really wants to make a difference. And he's wearing the A. I think that it, guys might say, no, everyone needs to be a leader. But I think that's also a, a sign from, from the coaching staff and management that they trust him. They want him to take that next step. Yeah, he looks stronger. He definitely looks more assertive. He's never going to be the fastest guy out there. But certainly he was he was firing the puck, uh, missing the net half the time. But I'll take that in a preseason game. Overall, he looks sharp. He looks like he wants to be a leader and wants to maybe reclaim the alpha dog status from JT Miller. Well, he looks motivated too. And I yeah. think we didn't early on last year, I, and you touched on it, Clay, you know, contract negotiations and, you know, not missing a big chunk of training camp, probably still battling issues with his wrist. He looks motivated and he looks like he has something to prove, not only to the team or fans, but to himself. And I think he does want to be that kind of superstar elite player. I mean, I'm not, not saying he isn't, but 
I think he really just wants to be consistent game in game out and not have that stretch to begin the year last year, this year, I think he wants to come out and really, you know, all cylinders running and try to carry this team on his back and get into the playoffs. Because I think right now in all sport, you're, you are judged by your success in the playoffs, how many championships you have, how many rings you have and how many, how much playoff wins you have. And I think PD knows, you know, for him to get to that next level, that's a big step. And the other thing, and again, again, I'm going to touch on this as in like, maybe this is something in his mind after hearing about it this off season that maybe has affected him. And that is two of the draft picks this year. One was his namesake, Elias Pedersen 2.0 and Jonathan LaCare and Mackey. Both of them said their favorite player in the league was Elias Pedersen. And I wonder eh? if that actually, I wonder if that actually hit him, you know, somewhere and realized, Whoa, wait a minute. You know what I mean? you know, I want to be the best player on planet earth. And the fact that, you know, these young guys that are only what four years younger than him yeah. are saying that he's their favorite player in the NHL and he's the guy they look up to. I think that means something. Yeah. hundred percent. I also think uh, that that kind of builds along with the a, it builds on the confidence that he got going from the last half of last year. And, and we, we saw the change in PD and whether, uh, whatever it was, it, confidence was right at the, the, the core of that. And he's playing more confident hockey and he's playing more of his game. And, you know, maybe it was injuries, maybe it was ice times, maybe it was the style of play he's being asked. But whatever happened, uh, he started playing with confidence and he's bulked up a bit more in the offseason. And in, like you said, Doug, you hear things like that as well about guys looking up to him. It's like, dude, I'm five years older than you. Like, how can you look up to me? Uh, but I think all these things compounded it's starting to show. And I, I think he's got a chip on his shoulder and maybe even like, you know, like you mentioned JT Miller as well. Uh, JT Miller became the, uh, the top dog on the Canucks offensive core. And that's everyone had PD slotted in for that. And I think PD wants to take that back this year. Were you guys surprised that he signed the three-year deal as opposed to Hughes who went long-term or were you fine with that? Given that, you know, his season was okay the, the previous year. And obviously he had a very slow start last season. So he's got a, a couple more years to, to make hay. What did what, you guys think when you first saw that three-year $7.35 million contract? For, for me, I mean, um, oh, sorry, Doug, you go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I was obviously, I was hoping it wasn't going to be a bridge deal and it would have been more of a longer term contract, but I understood the Canucks financial situation. That was not going to happen. And I think PD coming off, that year, it wasn't the best year he had had either. And I'm sure he'd be the first to tell you that. So I, I don't think he wanted to go to the negotiating table because, you know, the Canucks management is going to only focus on that last year in the negotiations where he's going to want to focus on his rookie year and his sophomore year. Um, so I, I think it was a, actually a good bridge deal. And with the salary cap seemingly going to go up pretty big in the next year and the following year. I, I actually think it's going to work out good for the Canucks because they're still going to have him in his prime. He still had, he's still an RFA. And I think that's the big key with that three-year deal that he's still an RFA. So the Canucks after that three-year contract still own his rights. So I, I, in hindsight, I'm okay with them signing that three-year deal. Well, at the risk of becoming the most unpopular Canucks podcast out there, uh, I'm going to explain. I'm explain the reason why I was okay with it uh, when when it happened. Um, first of all, the cap hit seven point three five. That's good, and that's again, that's because it is a bridge deal. I like that. The second thing is that by bridging him, 
you are still setting yourself up now to actually control 14 years of Pedersen's career because you've got the three-year ELC, you've got the three-year bridge, and then you can still sign him as an RFA to eight years. You can get him for 14 years uh, if you line this all up right. The other thing that I was okay with is and we're starting to finally see this now is uh, the cap is expected to rise. Teams have been given guidelines for it. And we're going to see a rising cap getting closer to 90 million over the next couple of years, which gives a bit more flexibility. And if you know, you're looking at numbers at maybe 11 or 12 million, all of a sudden that becomes more attainable. There may be a crunch here and there where it's a little bit tighter, but for me getting him at an AAV right now, that is more manageable along with the potential to have him signed for 14 years. I was okay with that. What about you, Clay? Yeah, good call on the 14 years and the, the control. That That's such a good point. It's funny. We kind of led with, um, you know, Doug was saying, well, what happens when Kuzenko needs a co- new contract? Well, Horvat. And then we and then we kind of joke, oh, let's worry about that when we get there. So this one's going to be a big one, <laughs> obviously, after after two more years. And it, it, it's kind of funny how the Canucks, uh, for better or for worse, likely for worse, they, they put themselves in the situation where every year, they're worried about someone's contract, whether you extend this person or not. And it's, I, I think for the next, until actually PD two more years from now, we're going to have this for the next few years. And it, it's just a matter of working our way out of that. Having said all that, yeah, you, you couldn't, you couldn't go 8 million, just a, a you know, a hair under 8 million for Hughes and then do another eight or nine for PD long-term. There was, there was simply wasn't that much flexibility. So you're right. If you have to do one or the other, it made sense. You go long-term with one of them, Hughes, short-term with, with PD control uh, your rights, obviously. And yeah, maybe he gets uh, something closer to JT Miller. Maybe he gets something even a bit more depending on how well he does the next two seasons. But if it's going to motivate him, uh, maybe this is kind of like the theme of the, the, the show today is uh, let's do well this year and worry about what happens afterwards. <laughs> Uh, you know, and that all comes back to Kuzmenko, right? Going full, full yeah. circle, right? Um, and, and just to, hey, if we're going to chuck on the worry right now about PD in two years, that's also when Pod Colson and Rathbone are going to be needing new deals as well. Great. So, thank, uh, thanks, Pete. Appreciate yeah, you know, that. just, just pile it on right now. Let's let's just start Please. worrying right now about, about all that stuff. But um, again, good problems to have. Um, yeah. Speaking of Pods and Rath, uh, two guys that I'm also really excited about, Pod Colson, really, uh, he's another guy who, the way I described it last year was, it's kind of like a, like a tank engine you know it's starting to get going it's slow progress slow progress and slow progress and then as the season went on he started getting a bit of momentum and from what we've seen in preseason and in camp he looks like he's ready to take it to another level that goal he scored against calgary kind of shows it i mean yes again it's preseason but the way he's going to the net and the way he's using his stick and this is a guy for the last couple of years just seems to be snake bitten all the time you know bouncing between four different leagues really well he wasn't bouncing in the nhl so playing and bouncing in three leagues in russia and bound and playing in north america he's moved around a lot and just he always just seemed to be snake bitten and and so to see him with that confidence and going to it that's a guy i'm really excited to see in the fourth core and you bring in two russians i mean when's the last time we had three russian wingers (laughs) i i really can't think of it like burry mcgill Gilney obviously jumps to mind, but I mean, it's been a while. Yeah. What I love about Paul Colson is actually what I, what other players say about him. We've heard Miller and Horvat and others talk about, he's the hardest working guy. He's the most humble and he simply wants to uh, have an impact. So much as we said, a lot of the things about Kuzmenko, I think you could say similar things about Paul Colson, not afraid to go to the net wins his board battles responsible defensively maybe doesn't have the same release as Kuzmenko but I think he's got a pretty good release as well we've seen that not afraid to dangle as we saw last Sunday against Calgary and the cool thing is it's only his second year 
It's only second year in the league. So that means he's cost controlled this year and next year for 925. It's a common theme, obviously, guys, that we every time we talk about a player, we have to talk about his his salary cap hit because oh, that's the reality. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, exactly. And that's the reality we're living in. So I, I love his game. And I actually think with Mikhail hopefully coming back sooner than later, and especially with Kuzmenko, almost a little of the spotlight comes off of him a little bit, despite the fact that I think he can handle the spotlight uh, as he showed at the end of last season. Yeah, and Klimovich yeah. as well down in Abbey. That's yeah. another guy. So. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think with Pod Coles and I mean, Boudreaux as well, at the end of last year, he was putting him out there, you know, an important face. Like, obviously, he wasn't taking the face off, but he's still, you know, out there in the defensive face off, you know, because he trusts him. He's he's one of those guys who I think can really develop into a solid two way player. And I think the sky's the limit. And you touched on this, Clay all the players that just gush over him and are constantly gushing about like how good he is. And he's like, this kid is just starting to tap his full potential. And he's got one of the hardest shots on the mm. team. I believe he actually shattered the glass when they were uh, in the preseason or not preseason in uh, training camp. There was a shot. I think Chris Faber had taken a, a photo of the glass and later reported that it was actually a, a pod Colson shot that had not shattered the glass, but cracked the glass. And, He's a guy that I am really excited for. And then the other guy you touched on, Pete, is Jack Rathbone. And, mm-hmm. you know, Rathbone's another guy who obviously I think most Canuck fans would love to see him stick with the big club this year. But he could go down and have a whole full other season of seasoning in the a- AHL, which I think would do him good. And I know Rutherford and Elvine, that's kind of their MO, is, you know, letting guys marinate in the AHL for a little bit longer than you would expect them to. And then when they make the jump to the NHL, they're that much more ready to make an impact and to go through the rigors of an 82 game schedule. But Rathbone out there, I mean, he made a couple of amazing passes and he did not look like he was missing a beat. What did you guys think? I'm high on Jack Rathbone. I've always been since, since I've seen him and since we drafted him, what I like, and I don't mean this as an insult. I keep calling him Quinn Hughes light and I, and he's bigger than Hughes. He has a lot of the similar uh, tendencies and skill set that Hughes does. It's just not as good, but he can get maybe not as good as Hughes, but still have the same type of game. Uh, his edge work, his offensive flair, his hockey IQ, his first pass. Yeah, you said you talked about his great passing, Doug, last, uh, last night. The thing about him, though, is I really think that his future for this season is going to be tied to what they do with Hughes. Because if they keep Hughes on the right side, then now you have Oliel, Dermott when he's healthy. And then perfect. Jack Rathbone is your third pairing left shot guy behind Oliel and Dermott. But if you bring Hughes back to the left, you're going Hughes, Oliel. You're likely putting Dermott ahead of Rathbone. Then you have the, the three guys that are exactly the same, Myers, Shen, and Pullman on the right side. Then, yeah, then maybe Jack Rathbone is your number seven. You can get him through waivers, which is nice to get him down to Abbotsford. But honestly, Doug, I thought that his seasoning, his year of marinating was last year in Abbotsford after he's played nine games up here. I Maybe I'm being a little short-sighted here, which, again, is the theme for today's show, apparently. Um, <laughs> I would love to see him this season, but I'm not sure if that's going to be what happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. and look, I've, I'm with you. I've always been a big Jack Rathbone fan ever since he was drafted in the fourth round and reading his story and how, you know, he chose to stay closer to home because of his family and just a, a, a good character guy. We're talking about a guy who got 40 points in 39 games in the AHL last year. I mean, 
Is there more that he can do down there? I, I'm not sure. I and mean, from what I've seen so far, I, I really like him. Quinn Hughes light, I think is, is a perfect comparison, but it does really depend again on the success with Hughes on the right-hand side. I wouldn't be surprised if the Canucks started with eight defensemen. I don't think it mm. does anyone any good to have Rathbone sitting in the press box though, as a number seven or a number eight, if he's up with a big club, he has to earn a spot and he has to be getting ice time. I hope he does. I think he brings something to this team that we need. Uh, it's exciting as well and he's had a good camp so far so for me I'd like him to start but uh, if it's he's a number seven or eight better off sending him to Abby and uh, the whole waiver exempt thing of course is a big bonus as well well I think this is the perfect lead into what did you guys think of Queen Hughes on the right side last night because I actually thought he played pretty well yeah if you heard him talk after I'm not sure you guys heard the post game he, he never will say that he's bad. He's just a, he's not cocky. Uh, he's confident, but he said, Oh, I think I played great. I think I did well. And I was at the game. I thought he was fine. I thought he was fine. The two goals that were scored. Well, one of them was overtime where everything was going crazy. The other time that he was on the ice, I think he was actually on for two even strengths. Um, but one of them wasn't uh, both of them weren't his fault or, or because he was out of position. I did see a couple of times where because of the handedness and the way he got caught against the boards, he had to spin. Uh, I'm probably saying this the wrong way, but he basically had to spin into traffic and that's me. And you kind of lose a tiny bit of effectiveness, but I do think he's smart enough to make it work. And I'm, I don't know. I'm all for OEL and Hughes playing together and being our, our top pair, but I know a lot of people will say, and I'd love to know what you guys think. I love, a lot of people say, well, if he's your best player, why take him? away from what he's good at and that's being dominant on the left side i think it's worth an experiment though and yeah. there was also one point in the game last night where hughes carried the puck in on the right side and did a little spin as well and and was able to get around the guy and set up and make a nice pass back to the high slot um I, look yeah, i think if it works great I, i'm all for playing to players strengths and if hughes is at least laterally as good as he is on the left side. Well, then you're playing to a player's strength by being able to move Rathbone up into a position where he can succeed on the left side. So it's just because someone is good in one at one thing doesn't mean he can't excel or be as good uh, at the other. And I mean, even here in Toronto right now about them trying out Mitch Marner on the blue line. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that I'm I'm all for with Hughes. I'd like to see it work. I love the idea of a Hughes OEL top pairing uh, and having a guy who and OEL again, a guy who at this market likes to throw under the bus sometimes, but is a very smart, stabilizing hockey player. And this is why Luke Shen had some good success with him. This is why Chris Tanev had great success with him as well. Is guys like that, guys who are rovers, guys who, if you want that player to play with his skill set and do what he's good at and be able to go all over the ice. You need a guy that you can trust to go with them. OEL is perfect for that. And he has an offensive flair as well. So I, I'm all for trying it out. Yeah. I also like the idea of distributing the speed that this team has lacked over the last few years to multiple lines. So if you can have Hughes play alongside OEL, that defensive pairing is that much quicker and that much more elusive as opposed to Myers and OEL playing together. And I don't think Myers is a slow skater, but he's definitely not elusive out there. You know what I mean? He's anything but elusive on the ice. And I think it's going to take time. I, I, I agree. He's going to make mistakes. The one thing I do worry about him playing on the right side. And you alluded to this clay is that if he is turning the wrong way, he could set himself up for a big hit because he's mm -hmm. going to get blindsided because he's not 
turning into the play. He's turning away from the play, right? So that is something I'm a little bit cautious about, but he looked good out there. And I think that's the first game preseason game, but first game that he really actually tested it out. And I think it's, he's such a smart player and he's such a confident player and he's an incredible skater that I think the more games under his belt, he has playing on that right side, the better he's going to get at it. And the whole right left thing, I understand why you want left guys, defenseman playing on the left and right playing on the right. But I really, I blame Mike Babcock because it was Babcock in the, in the 2010 Olympics where he made it, we're getting six left guys or sorry, four left shot D and four right shot D. And that's kind of what changed the whole narrative of you need to have your left guys play. I swear, like, I swear, maybe I'm misremembering, but it was Babcock 2010, the Olympics where he had four left shot defensemen, four right shot defensemen. And that's why guys like Drew Doughty. And again, Doughty arguably was one of the best defensemen on that team being as young as he was, but that's why Doughty made the team was because he was a right shot defenseman who could skate. But uh, I agree with you, Douglas or Doug. I call you everything. Douglas, but Doug. I, will say, <laughs> I will say this. Um, I, that 2010 team, you're right. Uh, did have guys like Weber, Doughty, um, Duncan Keith, really, really good players. I think they're a tad better than uh, Pullman shit, but uh, that goes without saying. <laughs> really? Uh, Just a tad better? <laughs> but, but I do what I do love what both of you said. And Pete, your point about putting players in their strengths, and I actually thought you are going to talk about Hughes, but when you linked it to Rathbone, that is such a good point because if you can, if it takes Hughes, and we've kind of talked about this, if, you, if it takes Hughes playing on the right side to also get Rathbone in the lineup, then I'm all for it. I really am. I really, really am. And there is, there is again, one other thing with, with Hughes at, from last night is his edge work is fantastic and his ability to escape and exit the zone. He can do that on either side. Um, but I am really curious to, to see, I mean, look, we, we talked, we, we were gushing about the forwards and I think this Canucks forward core is very good. It's the best we've seen in a while. Everything always comes back to the blue line. When you start talking about pants, like, oh yeah, but, but the blue line, the blue line's awful. I'm like, well, first of all, you got Quinn Hughes on the blue line. So it's not awful. It's just maybe the parts around it and it aren't, aren't necessarily as good as some of the other teams in the division and the conference. So how do you make it better? And Hughes going onto that side immediately, your right side gets better, obviously, because you're moving your right guy, your best defenseman on the right side. But then if you have Quinn Hughes light, who can come up into the lineup on the left side, it gives you a little bit more speed and outlets in, in different situations. So, uh, I, I mean, I would like to see it, it try, I think as well, Doug, I think there's a bit, uh, too much emphasis on left and right for myself personally, because, uh, mm. it, it just seems to be a product of, of the evolving game. And so maybe my, my brain is still back in the eighties when it comes to that, but, uh, I, I, I'm totally fine with, with giving it a shot. What do you guys think though, as well, besides Hughes and Rathbone, what would need to happen for this blue line to work with the parts that it has right now? Wow. I, I really like Travis Dermott. Uh, I met him at the golf tournament. He was a super, super cool guy. And I, part of me, I, I admittedly, I didn't follow him a lot, you guys, when he played in Toronto, but part of me, a lot of people are kind of capping him as only a third pairing guy. I would love to see him get a shot a little bit higher as a second pairing, especially, of course, if he's on the right. I'm not sure if that's going to be a good experiment at the end of the day, but I do think that if he can step up and surprise some people, and I don't know what you guys think about Pullman. I, I know he gets a, a bit of a bad rap because that contract was a little expensive for 2.5. 
But when he was healthy last season, he was fine. He wasn't amazing, but he was he was he was fine. He was fine. Uh, not fine, but he was fine. So I, I think if what happens, do you go Dermot Myers and then you go Rathbone Pullman or Rathbone Shen? And I'm fine if Pullman and Shen fight for that third spot. Again, presuming Hughes is on the right. So for, for the to answer your question, Pete, for the Canucks D to have a good season and, and getting away from the easy answer of, oh, it's all five players and the goalie that's defense. But for that blue line, they got to limit their mistakes they got to stay healthy and I think they could uh, just move the puck a lot faster. And I think Dermot Rathbone for full season, that is way better than the alternatives we had last season. Uh, One guy that you kind of left off that list clay was Kyle Burrows. And I actually really Mm. like Kyle Burrows and he's a guy that I thought really played well last year. And I think when Boudreaux came in, he actually seemed to really up his game. Uh, I know he missed some time last year with an injury, but he's a guy, he's like, for me, the perfect bottom pair defenseman. If you could have a Kyle Burroughs, Jack Rathbone, third pair, and Shen is kind of, you know, your seventh defenseman. And because I don't know if Shen, and obviously I think most Canuck fans love Luke Shen and what he's brought to this team the last couple of years, you know, sticking up for Quinn Hughes on the ice. It's been great, but I don't think you want Shen playing 60 games, 70 games this year. You know, you, you would kind of want to save him because he is long in the tooth. His body is probably going to break down if he's playing that much. So a guy like Kyle Burrows for me is, is that ultimate or that bottom pairing defenseman on the right side. And you, I agree with you, like limiting the mistakes, playing a very basic structured game, limiting the mistakes, you know, making sure those outlet passes, you're taking that extra second to look and make sure, you know, you're, you're making that pass and you're not going to cough it up to a streaking opposing forward coming down. And now you're on, you know, your heels trying to skate backwards. I think those are the keys to success for this team. And on paper, I don't think this defensive core is as bad as most people think it's contracts that are misguided or missigned, you know, Pullman, you mentioned obviously OEL's contract, Myers contract. If those contracts weren't as ballooned as they were, I don't think most fans would be as hard on the D as they are. I agree with that, especially when you consider uh, what we're paying Burroughs, uh, Shen and Rathbone combined as well. That's not a lot of money in, in in those three guys. Um, a few things I wanted to get in there. Uh, Travis Dermott, I also really like. Uh, I, I, he's one of those defensemen when he came over and the first few games, uh, I, I didn't really notice him. That's perfect. Hmm. That's exactly what you want, right? Like that's exactly what you want out of a defenseman of that caliber is you don't really want to notice him. A defenseman, when they make mistakes, you notice them. And I like that. Uh, my, my jury is still out on Pullman. I want to see a bit more of him. Um, I, I thought he was serviceable, but I don't think I really know what we have there. He's a big wild card for me uh, this year is Tucker Pullman on the blue line. What can he bring? Um, Myers is Myers. Uh, we, we know what we can get with him. Um, he needs someone steady to go with, which I think uh, for me, I've got Dermot uh, playing with him. I think that could be a decent second pairing. My third pairing though, I've got Shen penciled in there right now. Um, so I think we all have a different guy penciled in there, which is kind of a nice to have as well. You got Burroughs, you got Pullman. I'm going with Shen just because of uh, the way that he's also mentored Hughes in the, in the past. And uh, again, a very stabilizing veteran presence, a big body with the young guy, Cal Burroughs also a big guy he can throw his weight around out there as well but it's nice problems to have and also some of these guys who can play on both sides 
that's going to come in handy as well. Uh, there's also this year a little more depth down on the farm with NHL experience. I think both uh, Willannon and Kalnick can come up and actually help. Willannon, I think, has looked pretty good so far from what we've seen. Um, so again, it, it's nice to see a little more depth and a little more interesting and in, in younger pieces and, and more potential with some of these guys that we can call up as well. Brady Keeper is another name who yes. obviously mm-hmm. we didn't get to see last year because he got injured uh, during training camp, but he's a guy who hopefully can come back and get back his legs for a really strong campaign in the AHL and potentially get a call up if there's injuries this year at the, with the big club as well. Yeah, that's what's going point. on, brothers. We we named twelve defensemen, and no one has said Danny DeKaiser. You know, <laughs> you know the thing about DeKaiser. <laughs> I, I joked about this on my live stream last night. He actually was not even listed on the box score on NHL.com, both on mobile and on desktop. Wow. And he played. I was there. I was at the game. Yeah. I saw him play. <laughs> yeah, I saw him really? wearing, wearing Gerald Diddick's old number four out there. Yes. Um, yes. Danny DeKaiser, I don't know. I was a little surprised by that PTO. I'm not fully surprised, but he's the type of guy that if he's coming in, really, that makes it a lot harder for a guy like Rathbone to make the team, right? Yeah. And um I'm just not sure how I feel about that. If DeKaiser is a great camp and wows, hey, then great. You know what? By, by all means, we got a, a serviceable player for nothing, but I'm not sure he's going to be able to bring enough. And I'm not sure that uh, it's 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 exactly the right skill set. But hey, if again, it, depth is a good thing. If he makes a team, though, uh, either you you probably have to paper Rathbone down uh, because he's waiver uh, waiver exempt. Yeah, I mean, I look at it as just bringing more competition to preseason and training camp, right? Making sure that Rathbone doesn't feel like he's going to be gifted that third <laughs> pairing on the left side, and he's got to work for it. DeKaiser is also more of a PK specialist. Uh, he didn't look great last night. It's still preseason. I, 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 I know he was a decent defenseman for Detroit for a few years. Is he past his prime? Probably. Is he ever going to be a top four guy? No. But if he can give you solid, you know, bottom pairing penalty killing minutes, minutes, that's great. But like you say, Pete, you know, at what cost? If that's costing you a roster spot for Rathbone, I don't think it's worth it. Yeah, DeKaiser's hockey IQ is fine. He's a veteran. We know he's had a couple major injuries, so it slowed him down. So I actually can see him processing the game and he he's he. Yeah, he's smart. He's a good player, but he, his speed isn't there. And if we're already talking about a, a blue line that are going to have guys like Pullman and Shen and, um, you know, guys that simply aren't that fleet of foot, I'm not sure if there's a spot for him. But you got to bring, when you bring in a PTO, just like they did with Chase on last year, you got to play him with good players. You don't bring them in to play with your, 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 your scrubs or your Abbotsford guys. So maybe that's why he got that chance to play with Myers right out of camp. And maybe he gets another look, uh, a couple more games before they have to make a final decision on him. Yeah, it's putting guys in a, a situation where they're likely to succeed, right? And yeah. this is something that we're we're seeing even William Carlson getting to ride shotgun uh, on the top line uh, as well. Like you're, you're putting guys, playing them to their strengths, seeing what uh, they actually have. Um, we haven't touched on the goalies a lot. It's, it's funny, like we, we we kind of know what's what's happening with goalies, right? And and it's going to be the Thatcher Demko show and it's going to be Spencer Martin backing him up. Um, overall though, we haven't seen a, a lot of that yet. It, it, this team is, has brought in 
some good depth. Arthur Seelofs looks like he's taking another step. Uh, Colin Delia has been around for a while, and he's going to be obviously another veteran guy that you can call up. Mikey DiPietro is still in the mix a bit, but just going into the season, um, Demko and Martin, for me, it's nice having a backup that I feel confident about that uh, for me, ideally can start 20 to 25 games for, for the Canucks. Um, what do you guys think about the way they use goalies and, and what did, but what also, what about Demko's top end potential this year? I, I've heard Vesna already. Someone mentioned Vesna earlier. Yeah, Doug did. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I did. I mean, yeah, I think if Demko, I, one of the big issues with Demko last year is he played too much. He wore, he got worn down a lot of the nights he was meant to have off. Halak was getting lit up and Demko was having to come in cold <laughs> off the bench, you know, in relief. And unfortunately he, he just played too much last year. So I do think if they can have like a, a bit of a game count in their mind of like 60 games, or, you know, maybe it's 55 games. I don't know if they, you know, if they can limit say 60 games is probably the ideal number and Delia plays 22 or not Delia, pardon me. Um, uh, Spencer Martin Mark, plays yeah. 22. I think that's probably the, the perfect number they just gotta they gotta manage his time better and again it wasn't the the team's fault right if halak's getting lit up and you know they need to pull halak to put demko in there's there it's nobody's fault so as long as he can get those those actual nights off and he's not having to come up in the second period to take over for his backup i think you could see demko definitely be in the running for a vesna trophy this year will he win will he win it who knows Yes, uh, I've seen Demko listed as kind of right at the the cusp. You have your top tier. If you could say Connor Hollebuck still there, Vasilevsky, Shesterkin, and maybe UC Saros, and then Demko and Markstrom, Campbell. They're kind of in the next tier. Follow my math, guys, and tell me what you think. If the Canucks, I think the Canucks are going to finish third. That's my prediction. Let's say ninety-eight points. So that's sixteen games over five hundred. So I have them. They have to go forty-four, twenty-eight, and ten. 44, 28, and 10, 82 games get you 98 points. With me so far, we're good. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Yep. if yep. they need if they need 44 wins, and let's say, let's take your two-thirds, one-third split of 55-27. Can Demko win 30 of 55 games? There's your 30 wins. And then can Martin win 14 of 27? Exactly half of his mm-hmm. games. And yep. that gets you your 44. So when you break it down, when we break it down like that, it seems realistic. Now, maybe Demko has to play closer to 60 as opposed to 55. Maybe Martin doesn't win half of his games because he get has to play on the back end of a back-to-back against a, uh, and the Canucks are tired. So I get all those things. But when I break it down that way, it seems reasonable. And the Canucks did play at a, even a higher pace than that after Boudreaux came here. So I know it's the start of the season. We're all optimistic, but I look at 500, 5 million for Demko and 760 grand for Martin and saying, if you can get 45 wins out of a goaltenders that make less than 6 million combined, that is a huge win. That is a huge win. Especially yeah. when you look at what Florida is paying, I think 14 and a half million for, for goalies right now. <laughs> hey, look, wow. Demko last year, third in the league in games played fourth in the league in minutes played. So without a doubt for success, that has to come down. I mean, the, the guys around him are the, some of the guys you mentioned, Saros, Hellebuck, Vasilevsky, Markstrom. Uh, those are the other guys right up in there with Demko. But we, we saw some of those guys fade down the stretch in various situations. Markstrom in Calgary in the playoffs is, is a great example. So regular season is great, but you still need to have the ability to have that en- energy because when it's going to the postseason, if we make it there, you've got your number one guy playing every game. So you need to think about that as well. Uh, I like those numbers you gave, Clay. I think 30 <laughs> and 55 and 14 and 27. Uh, I think that's 
certainly possible. I think another thing, managing their losses. Uh, we didn't see a good job last night of how they played into overtime, but hey, at least they got to overtime, right? You got to get those points as well. That really helps. Um, I think third in the division is right now where I have them behind the two Alberta teams right now. I think that's uh, a safe spot, but I think again, like the Pacific division for me is, is really up for grabs. Uh, I think there's every team in the division has question marks around it. I think, I still think Seattle and San Jose uh, are, are going to be a little bit back of the pack. Uh, Anaheim has some good young pieces, but I don't think they're quite there yet. Can LA replicate what they did last year? Uh, They've still got a lot of a youth movement. Are they, some of the guys going to take the next step or are they going to, are some of the guys going to regress? Calgary, how are they going to adapt to a new first line and uh, and some of the changes there? They've still got a great team. Edmonton, new goaltending, but we've heard that <laughs> song before. And how much are you going to keep leaning on your top two guys? And Vegas, I mean, their goaltending it is it's suspect. And Vegas is always uh, like, what do you expect from Vegas now? I mean, what are they going to do halfway through the year and blow up the squad? Who's going to get injured? There's a ton of question marks throughout the division. Uh, the Canucks certainly have theirs. I think a lot of them focus on the blue line. But I think third place is a reasonable expectation. I think 98 points, that's right around there. I'd like to see them get a little bit higher. I think, you know, 102 or so, it it would be, uh, I think, a really good season to crack that 100-point mark. Uh, but for me, uh, I think, you know, I'm, I'm saying it right now and maybe, uh, we, maybe people, uh, go back and, and laugh at me in a few months, uh, but, uh, I'm, I'm still, Hey, I'm a glass half full fan. I'm saying playoffs this year. Um, I think they got a great shot at it. Well, you're speaking my language and if they're going to laugh at you, they'll laugh at me too. Cause I have them as third. And of course I'm glass half full. I'm the founder of the GLCPC, the good looking <laughs> connects positivity club. Uh, but I I'm with you, Pete, uh, the two Alberta teams, I don't care what order. I, I still think they're a step above us. And I think the three bottom ones, um, Anaheim, San Jose and Seattle. And then, yeah, the, to me, it's, it's, I think the Kings, I think a lot of people are really high on them. I'm not convinced. And Vegas is just a dog's breakfast every year. Either they make for good drama for sure. For sure. So maybe, maybe admittedly Vancouver is fighting with LA and Vegas for that three, four, five. Yeah. Doug, yeah. What do you say? I, I mean, I, I think Calgary with all the changes they've had and Markstrom being a year older, I do worry that Calgary might not be as strong. Or I do think that Calgary won't be as strong as some people are predicting mm-hmm. Edmonton. I mean, I can't stand the Oilers. I hate <laughs> the Oilers more than I hate the Leafs. Like I'll be completely honest. And I, Jack Campbell, like, sure, he had a couple half good seasons with the Leafs, but he's not their solution. And for me, I, I, I'm actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. I actually think the Canucks surprise. Again, obviously, health has to be key if the team can stay healthy. I think this team finishes second. I really do. I think this can be a 102, 105 point team if they're healthy. If Demko is, you know, playing at the, tier that we think he can play at there's no reason why this team can't finish second in this division in my opinion they probably got the best goaltending in the division jack campbell sure you could argue make an argument he might be the best goalie in the division but he's on the ducks and the ducks are still in up and coming jack campbell Campbell? john gibson no no gibson Gibson, sorry gibson gibson jack or gibson yeah in anaheim he's probably the best goalie in in the division um but he's on a team that's on the up and up. They're not quite there yet. Sure. Mason McTavish is probably going to, you know, be a front runner for uh, the Calder trophy this year. And Zegris, I know he just got injured, but you know, he's another year in the league of putting up incredible plays and goals. I just don't think they're there yet. So yeah, I predict 105 points second overall in the Pacific division for this Canuck team. I I, again, there's no reason not to, if they can stay healthy, there's no reason for this team not to be that 
Good. I I thought I was the positive guy. Yeah, That's impressive. I was, gonna, That's good. <laughs> I was gonna say, Clay, you come in with 98, we go 102 and 105. That's some GLCPC right there, right? Love it. Love it. <laughs> Um, Clay, just before we, we got to wrap this up, um, we'd love for you to tell everyone what is going on in your life and awesome. what you have well, coming you. on. Yeah, well, I was born way back. I'm just kidding. Uh, with um, <laughs> with my YouTube stuff, my Connect stuff. Uh, yes, I'm a season ticket holder once again. So I'm going to be at the arena a lot. And when it comes to my YouTube channel, uh, really focusing on these nightly live streams. And and I think this is my bread and butter. It's um, I, I love being spontaneous. I love the community that I'm building on YouTube. I don't have the biggest YouTube channel out there, but I do think I have the strongest community from a standpoint of a lot of regulars and a really, really good interaction. So I'm doing a, a nightly show five nights a week, kind of filling that sports page time slot because I'm a night owl. So I'm going basically 11 o'clock every night for about 40 minutes from Sunday to Thursday, take a bit of a break on Friday, Saturday, but yeah, a chance for me to chat for the first 15, 20 minutes and about what I want to talk about and then go to the people for another 15 to 20 minutes. It goes really fast. Wow. Upload it as a podcast for the next morning for people who, like I said, who want, who want to uh, listen as opposed to watch. And that's what I'm going to focus on uh, from a creative side this year. Uh, yeah. Again, Clay, thanks for joining Pete and I on the speakeasy. Uh, quick question for you. I know you're an avid bowler. Have you ever <laughs> bowled a 300? No, nowhere close. I think uh, nowhere when, I close. Can, when I can outbow my weight of 190, I'm very happy. Uh, <laughs> my son, Jake, my son, Jacob, he's, as you guys know, he's the championship, the national team. He's had three perfect games of 300. My best, wow. is a two, my best is a 240, but that was only once, which is still pretty good. But if I'm on a tough pattern, if I'm bowling between 170, 180, that's about my average. If I can get over my weight and get to 200, then that's a good game for me. But uh, thank you for asking. We'll have to do like a, like a, a, content creators bowling night one night i'm not Ooh, sure I like it how, how cool it look out there yeah but let's do it i love it i'll be on the lane with the inflatable uh tubes on the side there, uh, right there. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're called bumpers but yes i know uh, yeah see, yeah, I, yeah that's yeah. where that's where i am right right there uh i'm bold in in years um i love that you're doing that um and filling that void i mean you mentioned sports page uh you know it's something we all grew up with was sports page and uh, late night with dan russell as well like uh that that's something that this market really needs. So, um, yeah. you know, I'll be, I'll be tuning in when I can as well. And, and, that, and, and, and one thing I, I will, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, go ahead. But, but I, I, I kind of led with this and I, I really mean this, you know, when, when TSN 1040 went down and then uh, Donnie and Dolly started up Sakaris and Price, Halford Bruff went to Sportsnet 650. A lot of those people landed on their feet, which is good. Then we see a lot of smaller podcasts and shows like mine, like yours and others that we're, we're never going to be full-time media guys, but we still have an avenue to express our fandom and our creativity and our love for this team as well. So I, anytime I hear, oh, just another podcast or another YouTube show, they're diamond does blah, blah, blah. What, I, embrace it. Embrace the fact that we have a platform as, as large or as small as it is uh, that, that we can do this and, and have fun doing it. So I did want to affirm you guys for all you're doing. And I encourage you guys to keep it up. And and we there's a lot of room for all of us content creators, especially in a city like Vancouver, where we have such high hopes for this team. Obviously, 98 to 105 points. So I want to affirm you and congratu <laughs> congratulate you that way as well. And, and I appreciate you having me on. Uh, cheers. Thanks, Clay. And I agree with what you said. There's, uh, there's a lot of us out there. And we do this just because uh, this is the way we felt that we wanted to get our voices across. We both love yeah. radio. This felt like the right avenue uh, for us. And it's a diverse landscape we have of fans. And we just want to, we just felt, hey, we just want to put something out there. If people want to listen, 
hey, that's great, but we're going to keep having fun and talking. And that's what the, today was, man. It was a lot of fun. Clay, I'm glad we finally got to have you on. Uh, folks, if you haven't been following Clay out there, connect Clay on YouTube, on Twitter, give him a follow and uh, give him a late night listen when you're lounging in bed and wanting to hear your Canucks contact. The best Thanks. care for insomnia out there. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Hell yeah. Thanks. <laughs> uh, thanks again, Clay. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thank guys. you. All right. It's that time of the episode for the free poor open floor segment. And I know Pete, you and I often talk about record shopping, but I want to talk about record shopping. Um, I did last weekend, actually, or was it last weekend? Maybe it was the weekend before, uh, but I went up to Red Cat, and I hadn't been to Red Cat recently. Uh, their selection, they moved to a, a what I think is a smaller store, but their selection hasn't been great, but I came across two albums that I was absolutely mind-blowing that they were actually there. I only ended up buying one of them. Uh, the other one was a little bit highly priced, but again, I love when you go digging and you find something and you're just ecstatic and blowing away to find it. But there's an album I found. It's uh, Quali Chris and Jean Grey. And Jean Grey and Quali Chris are actually mm. married in real life. And it's a collaborative album they did together called Everything Is Alright. And it's such an awesome album. It was on white vinyl. There's only 500 pressings, and I was blown away to find it up there. The other album they had up there, but it was like 60 bucks, and it was a new repressing. Uh, it was KRS One um, microphones. Uh, what's that album called? It's uh, MCs. Got to remember. I forget what MCs act like they don't know. MCs act like they don't know. Thank you very much. Anyways, and I saw that, and I was like so tempted to buy it, but it was 60 bucks. I, I did pass. I might go duck up there tomorrow to see if it's still there. Um, but at the time, yeah, it's just that feeling when you find a record that you just had no idea you would stumble upon. I love it. I've got this rule now with records. If it's something I want, I just buy it because uh, at the end of the day, that extra 20 bucks or something, yeah, you know, you, you don't remember that, but you'll always remember the one that, that got away. Um, I just wanted to talk about a TV show. We're kind of flipping things around. I don't normally talk about TV shows because I normally don't get into them, but this one has kind of sucked me in. I've been watching The Bear on Disney, and it is excellent. It, uh, it reminds me of my time in kitchens. It reminds me of reading Kitchen Confidential. It's a fun story. Um, as someone who's now back in a, a creative production environment, I'm, I mean, I'm not cooking now, uh, but I'm back in this sort of environment. It really kind of pulls a lot of the strings and makes me want to be better at what I do and makes me want to be more creative. But if you haven't seen it yet, it's about a guy who's a, one of the top chefs in the world who has to go back to his Chicago sandwich joint and run that because his brother dies. Uh, and it's a great story. It's funny and it really does get into kitchen life. Oh, and Maddie Matheson is one of the characters in it, but he's not a cook. So I think that's kind of funny as well. Yeah, I've heard about it. I definitely want to start watching it because I've heard tremendous things about it. Yeah, you dig it. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 122 of the Canucks Speakeasy is just about in the books. And thanks again to Clay for joining us. Uh, make sure you check out all of his great content online throughout the season. Uh, that was a fun chat and talking about stuff on the ice and just more positive views of the team. Uh, it's refreshing after the week we've had. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, not only is he 
just so knowledgeable. Like, he's one of the most knowledgeable fans, I think, on Canucks Twitter. And that's putting content out on the regular. But just that kind of breath of fresh air, right? Like, to not always be down when things seem like they're low. And to look at the bright side of things. And to try to focus on, you know, the product on the ice. Even though we do get distracted with the things off the ice from time to time. It was a great conversation. And thanks again to Clay for spending some time and taking the time to join you and I on the Speakeasy. And Doug, uh, we, we should have touched on this last week on our outro. Uh, we forgot to mention Roger Federer uh, retiring and uh, all the great footage of him and Nadal out there. Uh, I mean, you're starting to see the goats uh, from the greatest age of tennis with uh, Serena also retiring now. Um, and the torch is finally getting passed after probably the greatest age of tennis on both sides. Yeah, and Canadian I, tennis. Yeah, well, the Canadian tennis seems like it's just kind of coming up. And a lot of the Canadian players are just slowly getting to their prime. But Roger Federer, I mean, he's probably one of the most classiest athletes of all time. And at least of our generation, you know, I think he's the greatest tennis player that I've seen. Pete Sampras is close, you know, him and... But I would give the edge and the nod to Federer as far as male tennis players. Obviously, Serena is arguably the greatest tennis player of our generation, male or female. Um, And again, you know... Congratulations to her and her career as well. But uh, yeah, we should have mentioned it, like you said, on the last podcast. And just to see that admiration between Federer and Nadal and, you know, Nadal crying as well. And, you know, that was happening. It just your biggest rival to have that much admiration towards you. It's almost like Nadal wouldn't be who he was if it wasn't for Federer. And Federer wouldn't be who he was if it wasn't for Nadal. And those are the stories and sports you love to see. Yeah, I can't wait for uh, a 30 for 30 about that. Nadal is my number two all time uh, in there as well. And I have, I have Djokovic as number three. And that's why I think it's like uh, at the greatest age of, of, of tennis on, on both sides because you have all the goats right now. And while we're congratulating, uh, let's also send a congrats out to the Blue Jays who clinched a playoff spot in an off day. The first time that's ever happened in their history is clinching on an off day. And also Aaron Judge belting number 61 at the Rogers Center and tying the great Roger Maris. Yeah, I mean, the Jays haven't made it easy to get into the playoffs on themselves, but hey, they've clinched and that's all that matters. And I know you and I have talked about this before, but I love playoff baseball and i'm really looking forward to when the playoffs start it's just baseball just amps up to another level and so it's always entertaining i'm very much looking forward to that and aaron judge like you said he's tied roger maris's american league record with 61 home runs which is an incredible feat and i think he's got a handful of games left to try to hit the 62nd home run and i don't know if people realize but we are watching history and soak it up and enjoy it the Mariners, they're down to a magic number of one as well. So that'd be pretty cool if the Mariners can also get in. Um, lastly, as well, we just wanted to send our best thoughts out to Tua with the, the Dolphins. That was some scary stuff. And the NFL really needs to look at what happened there because that is a serious black mark on them, the Dolphins' medical staff. Uh, not good to look for anybody. Uh, but Tua, we're thinking of you. Yeah, I think the Players Association is uh, going to do an investigation on what happened in that game against the Bills on Sunday that obviously led to the injury last night against the Bengals. Uh, thoughts on Paris for Tua. Hopefully he gets well and recovers soon. Um, 
And also, hopefully he doesn't rush to try to get back on the field because brain injuries, you know, are a serious thing. And people need to take their time and actually make sure they're healthy before they try to get back on the field, especially when you take two hits in less than five days like Tua did. Yeah, that was some, uh, some scary stuff there. Uh, you can follow us once again online on Twitter, uh, Pete underscore gas, and do check out our playlist on Spotify, the Connect Speakeasy outro playlist. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Then. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canuck Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta luego.